and welcome to Conversations on Climate. My name is Chris Caldwell and this series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. We sit down with the experts who are trying to solve the biggest challenge of our time before time runs out. Today we're speaking to you from Athens where we're talking to Giannis Komatas who is a operations director of a US family office based out of London, but investing on a pan-European basis. We're speaking about all things finance and investment. We talk about Janice's personal journey uh, from engineering through the automotive sector in strategy consulting along the engineering side of renewable energy on the way to up to this point where he's now hands-on on the investment side of a large American fund. Then we'll talk through the present trends that are occurring in the renewable energy industry, things like internationalization, the space of private companies, the impacts of government regulations, the impact of Glasgow and COP. Then we'll go into the future, like what it is like to be investing at moments of uncertainty. We're going through worlds of uh, high inflation, lower growth, the searching for unicorns, whether that's even possible, where the sector is going. Going, where the investment sector is going and what skill sets are needed to really drive and thrive uh, within it. I found it to be a very interesting conversation and I hope that you will too. Thank you. So, Janice, thank you so much for inviting us uh, over My here to, to, to Athens. Uh, beautiful place, beautiful weather. Thank you for organizing that as well. <laughs> A uh, lovely, lovely town square, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for uh, for coming, Chris. It's uh, it's really my pleasure to to participate in uh, in the series. I'm very passionate about the energy transition, and uh, we're very fortunate to be doing this in this fantastic setting, this amazing weather, and looking forward to our discussion. Great, yeah, me too, me too. So, uh, could you give us a little bit of uh, background on yourself, like how your, you know, your, your journey to date? So, indeed. Uh, so, I started um, as, a, as a mechanical engineer. That's my background. That's my first degree. Uh, and my, my first job was uh, in, um, in the automotive sector. So, I started off uh, uh, working in the Land Rover plant in, up in Solihull in the UK and then moved on to, to Toyota. So, I spent quite a few years in the sector, which, which was an amazing sector, taught me a lot. But at some point, uh, 10, 12 years ago, I, I, I decided I wanted to make a, a switch. Uh, it, it coincided with uh, making a change in where I was living. I moved to, to the UK from Belgium, where I had moved for the Toyota stint. And this is when I, I went into renewables. It was purely on the basis that it was a up-and-coming new industry. I was really attracted to the whole narrative of really trying to, to, to do something for, for the world. Back then, I wasn't really so much into the energy transition um, big picture. It's more focused on the, the technology, delivering those small uh, back then little projects. Did a stint with privately owned, family office owned uh, business that operated out of London. We did some uh, wind, solar and uh, waste to energy projects up until uh, 2016, 2017, at which point I, I finished my, my MBA at LBS. Uh, on the back of that MBA, I again 
tried to look at some options, and this is when I went to uh, consulting. So I joined uh, Parthenon, uh, EY Parthenon, uh, the transaction team. It was all good. It was all uh, going uh, uh, perfectly nice, but the pool of the renewables was was always there. And since 2019, I'm, I'm back in, in the sector. Uh, now I'm working again for a family office owned business, a, a platform, you will, an investment platform. And we're doing wind, we're doing solar. We are trying to also start some storage projects. So the, the, the typical renewable energy asset uh, uh, investors. Investments as a subject has been a very hot topic since the uh, latest like, COP, COP up in Glasgow. But investment in renewables can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, for example, the one person's view of it might be searching for the next clean tech unicorn or the first clean tech unicorn. And uh, somebody else's view of it might be just looking for long-term stable, stable returns with low risk. Uh, what's, what's your take on the, the role of investments in um, the energy transition? So the, the, the role of investment in, in energy transition is, is, is fundamental. It's, it's, it's absolutely um, elementary in the sense that you, for the energy transition to happen, you need a renewable energy generation in the first place. That in itself, although it sounds very simple, people look at solar panels, wind turbines, and they think this is a technology that it feels like it's been there forever. It hasn't. It's only been you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, it, it's not that long. But what, what people perhaps don't, don't necessarily grasp is that these, these assets need to live 25 years alongside highways in the deep seas or near towns, uh, office buildings, parking uh, spaces, etc. So bringing that in, in, in reality actually proves a lot more complicated that, than people think. So it's still something that has the, the traditional risk uh, stacking. So you have the the technology risk is indeed lower these days, but you, you have the development risk, you have the construction risk, you have the operational risk, you have the, the end-of-life management risk. So where there is risk, there is an opportunity to invest. For sure, there will be more and more demand for this generation of, of clean electricity. Having said that, clean tech is a much broader uh, uh, topic. I find it a bit difficult sometimes to, to distinguish what, what is clean tech and what isn't. Is, is Tesla a clean tech company? Uh, one could say, yes, it is, it is taking CO2 out of the road, but is it facilitating the transition? Yes, maybe it's up there. Now, when it comes to investor returns, so far, I think the returns follow the the investors in the infrastructure. So uh, there's been many investments in the in the value chain, such as in the uh, components manufacturing, in networks, in the retail side of things, and they haven't done spectacularly well. On the contrary, the investors on the infrastructure side, they've not done <laughs> extremely well themselves, but they've done uh, well in a stable manner. So, and, and, and that's that's all you need to keep on the the taps on uh, the, the, the flow of money. So I think this will continue. People will still be looking for unicorns. People uh, will still be uh, fascinated by these very clever ideas on managing uh, the, the various aspects of the energy transition. From our perspective, the companies I've been working with, 
they tend to focus more on, on the infrastructure investment side. Uh, it's a bit more boring, but it's a little bit more predictable. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, I'm very much involved in the infrastructure investment side too, but uh, it's, it's boring. I don't think I'd agree with that. Yeah, I I think know, it's people it. find it sometimes, but I agree with you, it's not. Um, you mentioned that your current uh, job is working for an investment platform. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? We, we, are, we are funded by, by a family office that is making these investments, not just on the basis of, of, of the returns, but really because they, they want to create a revenue um, generation for, for themselves, but also they, they want to be involved in the energy transition. It's a US-funded uh, uh, platform. We do work with uh, developers. We are not necessarily uh, fully vertically uh, integrated in the value chain, but that is for a reason. We, we want to be agile in, in kind of identifying opportunities. Our focus is on identifying those mid-stage development uh, assets that need a little bit of help to go to the ready-to-build uh, stage, are a little bit against some tight timelines, and we can then come in these situations and, and uh, get those assets built. So that's, that's our, our, our main focus. We, we are kind of also going into projects that we develop from scratch. So we were trying to go into storage, develop our own um, uh, battery system projects from scratch. And, and we're also considering offshore wind, uh, floating offshore. It's going to be a slightly long-term bet, but it, it's something that we think it might worth trying to do. So just to uh, put things into a little bit of... Um context now in the, kind of the, the broader environment. Um, how have you seen over your 10 or 15 years um, in the renewable energy sector, um, the attitude of investors having changed? Well, I can remember when I first went in there, nobody wanted, wanted to touch it. It was, it was deemed to be you know, boring, no returns, um, uh, difficult. You need to wait for an awful long time to get whatever, whatever paltry return, returns are available. I'm not sure a lot's changed in that. But people are still chasing it, so we're chasing it now, which is great. <laughs> but have you seen the, things change? I, I have seen quite a bit of the of the sector in in this side of the world, and it's been really a roller coaster in the sense there's been kind of big um, uh, excitement at times, followed by uh, a policy unwinding that then resulted in slights. Catastrophes in, in, in some cases. Um, in my experience, funding has, has never been as, ab as abundant as it is now. So everybody wants to go into renewables. Uh, and, and it's not just the, the folks that you've been traditionally expecting to see there. So the, right now, what additionally you see is, is because this transformation uh, is, is taking effect, the carbonization being a board agenda, a shareholder uh, quarterly meeting uh, agenda, all the companies want to, 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 to shift. And you see those big energy players from oil and gas coming you know, very big in the sector. Uh, other industries, they, they really want to reduce their CO2 exposure. So you see more players that want to get a piece of, of the pie. That's good news for developers, but it also means that when there is too much money chasing things, 
then there can be some cases. So one needs to be very, very careful with uh, how they approach this. For sure, for sure. But don't you think things are likely to change now? We're, we're in a place where inflation is going higher, where geopolitical uncertainty is going higher, where uh, economies are slowing down, um, interest rates will be going up at the same time as the economy will be slowing down. These are not good mixes for people looking to invest in long-term infrastructure projects. That's absolutely true. There is uh, something that differentiates the, the, the sector. and I wouldn't say it makes it recession-proof, but I think it helps a little bit. And, and that is that uh, no matter how strong uh, a recession is, the sheer irreversible scale of the energy transition, the fact that in whatever happens in 10 years, we will all be driving electric vehicles, the, the, that kind of guarantees the demand. However, the problem is that uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you, most people may think the same, and that means, okay, let's, let's go and do it. And then that makes, again, the, the, the valuations a little bit sometimes uh, uh, difficult to, to swallow, therefore difficult to, to make money on the back of it. So I would say you look for value. Uh, you look what value you can bring in the assets, where you stand in the value chain, what capabilities you need to uh, internalize, and, and how you, you can identify situations where you can benefit. Okay. And like, you're a good example of how investment has become internationalized in this, where you've, you've got American investors operating out of a fund out of London, and you're, you're doing significant investments in, in Greece. Uh, that's, that's, that's clearly a big trend in oh, the yes, market. Yes, yes, yes. It's been a, a kind of a nomadic sector from the very beginning. People... Uh, in the sector learned to follow the, the tariffs back in the day, okay? And, and this is across the whole, the whole chain. So investors, construction companies, suppliers alike, they, they are very quick to, you know, adapt their models, move people around, deliver projects. Um, there, are, there are people that have maintained the same advisors, the same EPC contractors and same suppliers and work with them in various places in the world. So, uh, but then of course, once you move, you, you try to see if there is any local value you can find. I think it's, it's because of the origins of, uh, of this kind of nomadic kind of uh, investing, yes. And we're now entering a space where a lot of the value has been taken out of the European markets, the US markets. It's much more, the things are much, much more compressed. Can you see yourselves expanding into other markets, which you say that there's a lot of capital, uh, capital going around. In South America, in Africa, it's not quite the same. It's, it, is, it is much more difficult. Can you see yourselves expanding in that direction? So the sole answer for the company I work with is that this is not a priority for us. So we, we still believe that uh, Europe has a way to go, as does the, the, the US. There is, there is this big shift in, in demand that, that, that we will be looking to, to be supplying to. Now, the sector, more broadly speaking, is looking at those regions. A company I used to work a few years back they would be a, a French company doing renewables in, in, in Latin America, in Brazil, or, or um, in, in, in Africa. It's something which, as, as we said earlier, you, you can bring your, your trade into these regions. Uh, so absolutely, yes. 
Another one of the big trends in the sector is the increasing amount, of, which you mentioned earlier on, of the private sector setting their own targets, setting their own, their own objectives, which are outside of, what go, of government policy. Um, can you see that um, expanding? And how do you think that that's impacting on the investment community? So I think it definitely has some room to expand. The idea is is relatively simple, that when it comes to the energy generation, you you, you can benefit from a direct agreement with a with a generating uh, to take to, to offtake the energy from a generating assets um, and, and and have a, an agreement with the the asset owner for the offtake, and you will get. A, a, a better price compared to buying this from from your utility provider. So um, there is an incentive for the consumer of energy, and there is also an incentive for the seller of energy because they will also also probably sell it a little bit more expensive than they would sell to the to the utility provider. So corporate PPAs are becoming more and more standardized. There's a lot more we know about them now, but obviously they need to be further stress tested in more real life scenarios. So I don't think companies will go 100% on a private PPA with with an asset uh, owner, but there's still some way to go. That relationship with the utility company is a very difficult one to manage. The asset owner, um, well, the, the business, the consumer of the energy will still, as you say, want to be having a, a fixed line into their premises just in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the sun isn't uh, shining yeah, or the, yeah, wind, yeah. the wind's not blowing. But the grids will want to be paid a price. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, that's, it's it's a, di- a difficult thing to, to balance. It's, it's a difficult um, uh, formula to, to, to make, but it's being done. It's being done in the UK. You have various charges that are being levied on one side or the other. Um, there's the sleeving fees. There's ways that you can make this work. Uh, it wouldn't work if, if people wouldn't, uh, had not found those, those, those formulas. For me, the, 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 the question is markets that have not yet developed this, these frameworks, and Greece is an example, whether they will actually benefit from entering this kind of arrangements late, so benefit from the already accumulated uh, uh, knowledge in the space, or be left behind from not uh, seeing all the progress that, uh, let's say, the the UK policymakers are seeing. Um, So we'll have to wait and see. Um, My bet, my, my, my gut feeling is that those that enter later will actually benefit by by accumulating or learning from the errors from other uh, territories. Okay. All right, so on to the, kind of the next section, which is um, investments, the investment industry in practice. So how do you go about evaluating an opportunity, a project that, that comes across your desk? So these are, these are real hard assets. It is a piece of land. It is a connection point. You need to, to evaluate the time frames. You need to evaluate the risks. You need to evaluate what lies ahead to, to, to turn this um, development, early stage development project into uh, a revenue generating asset. So it's not really a science. It's really uh, about having the, the experience, asking the right questions and trying to be fair on, on how you measure the, the risks ahead. Operating assets are slightly easier to, to evaluate. There's a lot of 
let's say there's a there's a lot of track record and operational data which you can you know dive into and and then figure out where where you are. But I, I'd say the the due diligence methodology is is quite established in in the sector. It varies only by uh, specifics. And this is where you need a little bit of, of experience because some cases are less common than others and you, you, you need to know what this means really for the future of the asset. And can you tell us a little bit about your, your operational structure, like the, you know, the, the people in your team and how uh, the various skill sets that you, you, yes. you have and you need to have to, yes, to make yes, these products yes, work? Yes, yes, yes. So, um, I'd say our, our, our setup is, is fairly typical. Uh, the typical setup for a kind of a hands-on uh, financial investor, i.e. not a, a passive uh, investor, is to, to try to go into those, the, the, the risk stack uh, and develop some capabilities to control that risk. So we have uh, development managers, we have construction managers, we have asset managers. And through them, we manage the risk at, at those different stages. Uh, what is, of course, very interesting is the, the transition of an asset through the different stages, so uh, development through to, to operations. But it's, it's, it's something that we were quite fortunate in, in, in our team. We have people that uh, have been in both uh, sides of, of the development and construction boundary, of the construction asset management boundary. So. It's a good thing to have uh, a solid understanding of, of those transitions in the asset life. Uh, I'd say that that's quite important. And of course, we we are very humble in the sense that we know we don't know everything. So we know that we will need to rely to, to externals. There are multiple specialist topics where we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can take advice from um, external technical advisors, very specialty uh, advisors on certain things. So it, it's something that the industry has uh, kind of allocated correctly, uh, how to optimize the sources. We're not building this, the, the, the assets ourselves, so we don't, we don't have technicians building the, screwing the, the, the panels on the, on the structures, simply because what is more efficient is to let specialized contractors do it. So that's, that's the model, really. Okay. And what are the weak links that you can see in that infrastructure of the various, the, you know, yourself, the investor's role, the advisor's role, the, 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 the manufacturer's role, the, the grids, how there's, there's a very complicated infrastructure, a very complicated uh, ecosystem there that is required to be put, to be putting all this in place, including uh, governmental support, including planning, including, including the grid itself. Yes. Where, 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 are the, where are the weak links? Where, what do you, as an investor, what are you, what are you most worried about? I, I think going back to, to, to what I said earlier, that people need to, to understand that these are assets that will occupy somebody's land. They will need to connect to a grid and they will need to be there for 25 years, leave their long lives on soil that may have its, its, its underground risks or be at risk of being contaminated by human activity elsewhere and also be subject to ever-changing rules and, and, and regulations and some of them changing with a retroactive uh, validity. So. Uh, I, I, I'd say there's, there's uh, so many parameters and you can never be 100% sure that you have bottled uh, each and every risk. So 
just the, the, by the, the, the power of statistics, where you know, 1,000 things can go wrong, one will, you know, it's, it's almost inevitable. Uh, you've done a good job by identifying the 999, but one can get you. Not destroy you, but you know, it's, it, it will need some attention. How do you measure the different metrics uh, when you're assessing the, the risk and rewards? Is it purely financial or are there other considerations? For example, how much impact you're making, how much carbon you, you take out of the atmosphere? So these are, these are things that, that we measure, mainly because, again, it's, it's a symbiotic kind of existence, right? So this asset will be there for 25 years. If, if, if we are imposing on, on people, people will know. Even if they don't know before we start construction, they will find out later. So increasingly, the industry is very conscious on how we're dealing with, with the community surrounding the assets. Uh, you want to have good relations, and because you, you will be there for such a short time, this cannot be superficial. Um, you, you, you can't just do something and go. You will be there. Well, the asset will be there. The, the, the SPV, whoever is calling you, will be there. You, you need to make sure that you treat the, the region, the place, the town, the municipality that is hosting you with respect. So that, that's something we, we, we do. This is something we know we need to keep on focusing at. In terms of the, whether this is a criteria for investing, it absolutely is. You won't go and, and invest in an asset that will be perceived uh, as not compatible with, with, a, with a region. Even if you have all the license, or the, you, you can't be seen as a, as a hostile alien landing in, on, on, on this community. So it absolutely is part of the assessment. Um, is there any weight given to the um, environmental impacts? Yes. Given, given in your, in your considerations. Like, for example, two, two sites, all things being equal, except one is marginally less profitable than the other, but the one that's less profitable has got a far greater impact on taking carbon out. Which one do you go for? So we're taking carbon out on the merit of the more solar we deploy, the, the more carbon we, we take. So I would say that the imperative is to deploy uh, as much renewable power as possible. Um, the, the focus is that without being almost an inevitability, what the focus then shifts is how does our presence there work for the environment, work for the local community. And what we are finding is there's lots of opportunities to, to do or, or, or try or study new things. So we've, we've had lots of discussions with uh, environmental groups, academic uh, folks that they say, look, this is a fantastic opportunity. This will be a piece of land undisturbed for many years and just to study how it recovers or other uh, angles that say, okay, actually this is an opportunity to improve not just the, the ground and the soil and the vegetation, but the, the fauna as well, um, how we bring in back animals, insects, etc. So in a way, you, you don't start by thinking what I can do to improve this land, but you realize there's so many things you can do. It's, it's almost a waste not to do them. So it, it, there will be more and more of that uh, coming uh, our way.
lots of land. It's a very solar in particular, so much land in, in, intensive. It would be really a waste not to find ways of, of doing something, with, something good with a lot. No, it's a very, um, <clears throat> very, if I say, kind of enlightened view of, of, of the responsibilities there. But do you think that that's because you've got additional freedoms because of your capital structure, because it's a family office and it's a in, <clears throat> individually motivated people who are, who, who want to take the, the overall good as a consideration? Or do you think that that's something that is, is filtering down throughout the entire investment community? So I, I I think you will find that many of the people in the industry, they, they, they do have a genuine interest in, in, in this kind of thing. So the community relations, what you can do for the ground you're occupying, especially those folks that are a little bit closer to, to the action. So if you are a, a, a passive investor with a small minority stake in an already operating asset, you might put a little bit your due diligence kind of community relation check uh, thing, but uh, if you're a little bit closer to, to the operations, to the construction activities, to the local, to the local communities, I find it it's almost uh, impossible to, to ignore. You literally have the opportunity to really do something good with, with very little, so why not do it? Yeah, up until now, um, subsidies, so to speak, have been very much provided by governments. Uh, so, like Germany building out you know, massive amounts of solar, the feed-in tariffs in the UK, you know, just these, they've, all of these examples. Um, but in the say the tech world, it wasn't governments who were subsidising these these companies. Like Amazon spent you know more than ten years losing money every single year, but it was investors who were keeping it going, who were subsidising it up until the point it became profitable. Now, the motivations were slightly different. Like the motivations for governments are, we believe that this is an important thing, thing for our infrastructure, for our community, for our environment. The investors in Silicon Valley and around the world, around the world who are looking after Amazon were, weren't motivated by thinking Amazon is fundamentally a good thing, a progression for the human race. Therefore, they're motivated by thinking this is going to make me a lot of money. Yeah. Where do you think that's, that's in the investing community is now. The, the rates in, in how technology changes, the, how easy it is to misjudge uh, how much to invest if you are a supplier and then be caught out. So if, if you are an equity investor or a re retail investor, uh, it's, 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 it's so difficult. Um, there's been so, so many high profile uh, bankruptcies and people, people losing their, their money. I'd say for retail investors, the, the, the biggest uh, benefit is, is, is the energy transition itself and the very, very, very cheap energy. Now, making uh, money in, uh, in IPPs, investing in, in, in IPPs, there's many listed um, independent power producers that is. I, I think they have quite high chances of, of, of generating dividends at, at some point. It is entirely possible that one day this will happen. Well, again, with your investors hat on, uh, if you go back to the, like the, the famous old story of the, the gold rush in America, the only people who made money during the gold rush were the people who, who, who sold the picks so, yeah. or, or like who sold the sandwiches for the people going up the mountains. Who are, you, who are the, pick, the pick makers or the sandwich makers who are making money in this transition? So there's many examples of, of suppliers losing everything, right? Simply because these, these big picks and troughs, they can really, really wipe you out. Uh, I, I think here the focus should be what, what is most valuable here is the, is the energy generation. 
I think the people that, that, that make money are those that are closer to the kilowatt hour generation. Mm. Yeah. Although, um, in any particular part of the world, there'll be their technology of choice. So here, it's likely to be solar. Um, in North, North, North Sea, England, it's, it's going to be wind. When the wind blows the North Sea, everybody's value goes down. Here, when the sun, the sun goes, everybody's solar value goes down. So being, being close to it, it kind of implies maybe it's the energy storage people, the, guy who, the guys who can hold on to it and put it into the grid at a better time. That, 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 that's a be... very good point. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. But you are right. The, the, the storage, uh, technologically, it still has some limitations because it's only very short-term storage. But it is happening as we speak. Storage asset owners in the UK uh, are making really, really um, uh, good returns, balancing the, 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 the market and offering ancillary services in, in, in that particular market. So it's definitely happening. Will it happen forever? Don't know, because again, the more storage you have, the less imbalance you have, right? So in a way, it is the nature of, of our sector, more capacity, more. Uh, lower price. Yeah. And what does storage mean to you? You seem to be just talking about batteries, but yes, there's, there's yes, more. Yes, yes, yes. So we, it, it, is, it is batteries for now, in the sense that this is the, the most you know, readily available uh, uh, systems out there. I think the next is hydrogen, um, uh, generating green hydrogen, which, again, it, it, it's something which um, we need to see how it will be consumed, okay? Uh, but that's, uh, I think that's coming um, right next to it. And then there's niche uh, or, or very specific cases of storing energy in, in, in all possible uh, uh, things you, ways you can imagine. I have to admit, I'm, I'm not very close to any such you know, creative projects about moving water between uh, um, heights or... Uh, They're good projects, we should they talk. Are, yeah, they are. Well, I'm, I'm sure they are. They, 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 they do make sense. Uh, they are extremely specific, but I, I am a big, a big fan of, of battery storage in the sense that now it's so well engineered. It's so easy to, to deploy. Um, you don't uh, have the constraints you have from solar, for example. It's much less energy intensive um, you don't need to follow the resource you can uh, you know it's it's, it's a little bit uh, e easier to deploy in that sense um, and yeah I've had very good experience deploying storage projects you know, batteries as a technology are fantastic and they're, they're improving all the time the main problems I'm seeing with batteries at the moment are increasing costs uh, increasing scarcity uh, longer lead times Everybody wants to do batteries, and it's, <laughs> it's pretty hard. I, I know, and you've now got your eight-hour batteries uh, appearing in, uh, in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a big step forward. But we're still a long way away from the hundred-hour batteries that we're probably no, going to yeah, need. No, no, that's true. That's, that's, that, that's absolutely true. Um, I'm not sure how long it will take uh, or, 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 or what will that mean for, for supply chains, both in materials but also in... in, in in moving the equipment around, but guess what? I mean, solar was some 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 years ago, eighty times more expensive. People were thinking it's impossible to, to 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 achieve the kind of volumes we're seeing in the last few years. So, but solar is also getting more expensive. <laughs> it is. It is. It, it is getting more expensive indeed. Yeah. But so does energy. 
yeah. uh, the, the, the end product. It's, I think it's all part of the, of the transition. It needs to be managed because energy is, is you know, you, you can't live without energy. You, you. But I think, I think what you see all around the world is governments do step in. Uh, and, and, and try to regulate that a bit more. Yeah, it'd be an interesting comment. You can't live without energy. We're, we're from an extremely blessed generation. Like it was ourselves, our parents, maybe our grandparents, the first generations in history that haven't had to worry about energy. We're sitting here thinking, oh, energy. Of course, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an absolute yeah, yeah. right. But <laughs> for thousands of years of human history, this was, this was not the case. It was something that, that people were deeply concerned yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit concerned now. Huh? But I think we are on, on the cusp of really reaching a point where energy will be generated anywhere and everywhere. Technology will, will close all these big questions around materials. Or, there's so many ways to generate energy once you, you move your, your, the model away from the fossil fuels, moving fuels all around the world. I mean, if you look at that, how absurd is that, right? So the kind of adjustments we will need to make for the renewable or green energy transition. They are nothing compared to <laughs> this insane infrastructure and what we've been doing with, with fossil fuels, right? True. But there's a lot of vested interests who w wish to be keeping up the status quo. So. Yeah, I think there, there will be a, a moment in time where yeah, this, this will have enough momentum to... We'll hope so, we'll hope so. Um, that's a transition, but... To get there, we'll also need other mechanisms. So, for example, um, one of the reasons I was asking you about do you do you look at the the carbon that you're ta you're taking out uh, earlier on was do you see future for where where carbon is going to be uh, a, a cost like a a, 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 liability. Li li a liability in your yes your, yes your no we 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 we're seeing this now. Um, I'd say the the the, the, the most motivated buyers uh, out there are those that have the most offsetting to do. Um, so it, it, it is happening. Even if it's not 100% clear you know, the mechanism at this stage, the, the, the writing is on the wall. I mean, carbon, carbon is a liability and, and anything you, you'll do to, to mitigate that, it's something you better do it. <laughs> And speaking of the, the vested interests, uh, so like the, for example, like the, the incumbent energy uh, providers, the, the big oil and gas majors, uh, you mentioned earlier on that they're playing an increasing role in their transition themselves. They're putting a lot, lot of investments. Do you see a natural fit for like your BPs, your Shells, your Ramcos getting into that space or, yeah. or, or not? So that, that has been the, 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 the big debate as to whether it's that the utilities or the, the, the energy companies that are, that are better suited. If you had asked me a few years ago, I'd say probably the, 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 the utilities probably are better because they, they understand electricity better. But the, the, the reality is, I think, the, the, the threat to the oil and gas sector is, is, is such uh, that they've really pushed a lot, really now spending a lot of money, building up teams, uh, getting people in. Uh, and I think they, they are definitely very strong uh, in, in coming into the renewables big, big time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the main advantage is, of course, balance sheet. 
know, they, yes, they, they, yes, they've, they've yes. got a, a tiny cost of capital compared to most others. Right? They have uh, um, low cost of capital, and in a way, they, as I said, they are very motivated to at least try to do it. Right. So, not all of them, but many are. All right. Uh, so. We just got a, a couple of questions that uh, always always ask uh, to, to to all the interviewees. Um, first is for all the people who are kind of watching this and listening to this. Um, could you answer the question of why they should care about what you care about? Why like you're clearly very passionate about about the space you're in, about uh, about being into renewables, but particularly into the finance part of it. Why should I um, or an LBS students looking 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 for a future, or someone as an investor putting their time, their money, their careers into investments in this in this space? I'd say it's it's, it's a very exciting sector, and not just for the professions you, you name. I think uh, people interested, you know, in general management, project management, uh, all, all sorts of skills uh, and backgrounds. It's a very fast-evolving uh, sector, meaning that there's not a lot of people that you know have tons of experience, and therefore you you feel you have a huge gap to bridge. It's something where you can come in, learn, and kind of follow the, the, the flow of things. And, and uh, it, it has a, a long kind of stint of time ahead, meaning that you can even switch into the sector, coming a little bit, uh, not early in your career, but a bit later. Um, I've, I've seen people coming into the industry looking to prolong their careers. I guess there's, there's lots of things that fit well for people from different skill sets, moments in their careers, etc. You can transfer your skills. You can... I had a procurement background in automotive. I came and started a career in, in renewables. Um, I had um, uh, people I know from LBS, from elsewhere that they they went into renewable energy finance, not coming from this particular uh, uh, asset focus, uh, and, and and they've done they've done very well. It, it is it is a growing sector, hence will give the the opportunities, and it's a very evolving, hence will give the interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And from a slightly different perspective, um, seeing as you've got a, an engineering background, um, why would engineers want to be getting involved in this as opposed to the, the, the IT space, the tech space, which everybody seems to be driven into at the moment? Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I won't say that it's, it's, it's the best sector to be in. Uh, what I will say is that because it is growing, because it is changing, and changing in terms of technology, changing, changing in terms of business models and all that, it means that you, you'll get opportunities to transition. So I, I've seen lots of um, uh, engineers coming and kind of growing into general management. So, so it's something you can do uh, um, in, in renewables. Uh, you accumulate the knowledge through projects. All of a sudden, you find yourself managing multiple projects you then find yourself managing a team of, of, of project managers. It is not unlike tech, um, but I'd say if, if we say renewables is as good as tech, that's probably good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. All right, and uh, last but not least, uh, now we're here in, here in Greece, here in Athens. Uh, wonder, wonderful place. And 
making some strides towards the renewable transition, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting across the table from me right now. Uh, what lessons can be learned for good or from bad from the, the Greek experience of renewables, of the transition yes. of so, energy policy? Uh, lots, or, or, or very few, depends how, uh, how, how, how you look at it. I'd say Greece followed the, the typical kind of early uh, market challenges. So we, we had a policy that was running too hot. We then had to, to pull the handbrake. We didn't kill the sector, but it, it suffered a lot. But this is where, where I'm saying that just the, the, the seal transition makes the sector almost uh, recession-proof, even in Greece. Even with a policy failure, even the, with a um, debt crisis, um, the industry is coming back. It's coming back a big time simply because Greece needs to cut its reliance on lignite, which is uh, a kind of a poor type of, of coal uh, that is really, really polluting a lot, lots of CO2 emissions, very inefficient. And because we have to move away from it just to, 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 to control our emissions, and because renewables are now so uh, efficient in terms of costs and output, the shift is, is, is dramatic, I'd say. So, there's been peaks and troughs. There will be a sustained growth for, for the next few years until we, we manage to close down those uh, lignite factories. So I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the, you have the classic policy errors we made, but I'd say, you know, trust the, the, the power of the transition um, and, and it will come through, I mean, even for Greece. Um, I know in... Uh, Portugal, uh, famously, there was uh, a very generous feed-in tariff that uh, ended up being pulled because it was unaffordable during, during the financial crisis, and it caused huge amounts of pain in the industry. Like it, it's something something ridiculous. Like eighty odd percent of the people invo involved in that industry went bust at the time. Uh, you also see kind of similar mistakes, although not quite quite as dramatic in the UK, where, in my opinion, mistakes, since other people may, may disagree, where uh, kind of onshore wind hasn't been supported for, for an awful lot of years and uh, continues to, to not be supported in, um, you know, despite lots of good good reasons, good reasons for, for it to be. Um, you say put faith in the uh, in the industry. Um, why is Greece then special to, that she's putting faith in? Where we're not seeing, for example, any onshore wind being built in the in in the UK because of policy. Uh, well, it's not it's not unique in, in any in any sense, okay. But it has a few things going on for it: good sun, but also the wind, the load factors are, are quite quite good. We have. Um, Lots of mountains in, in the country, um, which uh, really gives really good, good um, uh, wind resource. So in, in that sense, it has this going for it. It has things against it. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an archipelago, Greece. Not, not, not all of it, but there's uh, many, many um, hundreds of thousands of people living in, 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 in remote areas and they need to be interconnected. So there needs to be some, uh, some consideration for this. But I'd say the, the, what, what Greece has for renewables is that it's coming from a, a very CO2 intensive, dirty 
uh, lignite-based energy generation and it needs to find something that is uh, clean, cheap, and guess what? It's, it, it will be wind and, and, and solar. Um, so there is, there is this big need to, to move away from that. But is that reflected in policy? Is that reflected yeah. in... Okay, and how, how is that being promoted? I'd say it, it's not reflected directly in the policy. Uh, I'd say it's reflected in, in, the, in the outcomes, in the, in the results. So at the moment, the, the amount of solar and wind that is being built is really, is really a lot. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this is probably not super correct, the number I'm giving you, but it's 1.5, 1.6 gigawatts a year. Which is, which is absolutely massive for, for a country that when it was relying purely on, on fossil fuels, the installed capacity was 12, 13, 14 gigawatts uh, of, of fossil fuels, right? It is happening, uh, therefore things are working. I, I can't tell you everything is perfect, it's not. But the, the market is, is delivering capacity, yes. Okay, so it's a, a triumph of capitalism over regulation over policy. Uh, yes, and if you're persistent enough and if you're willing to ride certain things out, then, then yes. Well, thanks very much. Seems like a very good place to leave it. Um, that's been fasc- fasc- fascinating uh, conversation. Absolutely loved it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Thank you very much for joining us on that conversation. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you uh, learned something. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave a five-star review and to subscribe to any of our channels. And we'll be sure to keep you updated on future productions. This series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. These are conversations that you just can't afford to miss.